the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And, no. la- and last but not least, uh, joining us uh, for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Good morning, Good Jan. Morning, Jan. Good morning. Well, this is, uh, we always start with a few, uh, a few quotes, and uh, the first one is always a finish the quote. This is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, don't confuse being stimulating with 
what? Mm, being intelligent. <laughs> something new and something different. Yeah, you'll mm. love this. I think Jan will get a big kick out of this, too. The original quote is, don't confuse being stimulating with being blunt. Ah. Ah. That was, yeah. And that came from Barbara Walters. Oh. <laughs> well, ah. yeah, that's, that fits. Uh, interesting. And yeah. uh, here's, here's a, a quote that got my attention uh, this last week. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan, and as we close the, uh, this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy, of using the power of our development aid to invest in new ways of lifting people up around the world. Is that Biden? Of course. Biden's speech to the U.N., although yeah. like he needed an editor, he could have <clears throat> made some... Sh- shorter, more blunt, and stimulating sentences. <laughs> <laughs> that was, in fact, President Joe Biden on Tuesday. Uh, he detailed his vision for leading the United States into a new era of diplomacy as he sought to reassure allies, some freshly skeptical, he was moving past the America First era of foreign policy. He used his first speech to the United Nations General Assembly to describe a world where American civic leadership rather than military power acts as the driving force to resolve persistent problems like coronavirus, climate change, and cyber war. How do you think President Biden is being received overall by the UN and world leaders? Uh, My impression is that they're a little skeptical to say the least that they had hoped that he would have been he would have communicated a more sort of masterful foreign policy approach based on his past experience and there have been some stumbles it seems and yeah and they're and they're a bit worried uh, yeah it's been a rough couple of months to say the least yeah, so, I, uh, yeah. I would agree with uh due to come comments coming from my perspective i would I would share that. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very nerve-wracking. In fact, if I wasn't on the show today, I would I would be ignoring the news because I can I can't I can't stand yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean some of the testimony the other day from the military officers was uh, very unsettling in some ways. Well, yeah, it was unnerving. I uh, you we, know, you know I, we I need was... think, we need to have a little suggestion of stability and Oh, man, it's nerve-wracking right now. Yeah. I was one of those people who had, you know, CNN on around the clock. Yeah. Just just as background noise sometimes, and if something happened, then I would, you know, focus in on it. And I, um, aside from becoming very disappointed in CNN, um, I, I... I had to stop doing that, and now I do my deep dive on news on the weekends. It's like I have certain hours, and I go in, and I find out all the stuff that's going on. The rest of the time, you know, I'm binge-watching old episodes of The X-Files or something. Yeah, no, I, I know the feeling, because I'm kind of a news junkie, too, and, and it's, it gets overwhelming, and it gets so repetitive. I mean, sometimes the, the, yeah. the exact... Film clips or quotes they use, you see six to six or ten times a day if you yeah. watch enough of it, and it gets exhausting. Yeah, they say but there's a 24-hour news cycle. What they don't tell you is that they tell you the same things for 24 hours every day for a week. 
That's right. <laughs> but, but I think the two things that are really annoying at the rural populations are um, the attitudes of, of North Korea and uh, Afghanistan uh, toward the world community. They can do whatever they will. And also, um, I believe... Uh, you you know, what, 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 let me add one thought here. What strikes me is that how dominant visual images are. And I'm thinking uh -huh. of two things. Think of the Afghanistan, you know, the uh, airplane taking off on the, on the runway and the people running along the airplane, and then the incident along the border with the horses. Now, yeah. consider, what, yeah. consider what those, those stories would have meant or would not have meant yeah. if there had not been photographs. In, well, in and, and don't even get me started on the fact that beheadings are back in the news. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. In Afghanistan? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's likely to intimidate the rest of the world, and that that's uh, the world community is afraid of letting uh, incidents like that uh, happen in a world where we are all connected together. There's something yeah, that's scary right. about it doesn't, that. It doesn't feel like anybody gets that these days. The um, the the idea that literally and biologically and everything else we are all one, and we're all in this together, but people aren't acting like it. Not at all. Well, here's um, hope. <laughs> By the way, on that on that point, Jan, I did an interview this uh, this week that I'm not sure when it's going to air. Probably sometime in the next week or two, uh, with a minister who's written a book. <laughs> that the title is uh, "If God Is Love, Don't Be a Jerk." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Dingle, doesn't it? Debbie Dingle tried to make her point on that with, uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, of all places, on the steps of the Capitol. Jeez, what? Oh. Yes. Well, here, yeah. this was a fun <clears throat> quote that got my attention this last week. Listen, we all have people in our lives that we quit talking to, that we figured they're so far gone, they're so liberal, we're just not talking to them anymore, they've offended us. We need to get over ourselves and start having those conversations again. Hmm. I remember that quote, but I can't remember who did it, who said it. It was uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem kicking off oh, the yeah. second day of the Mackinac Republican Leadership Conference oh. with plenty of criticism for Democrats, but also this idea of, you know, don't stop talking to them win them uh, over yeah. you know what happened to the art of persuasion you, you know you make your points and hopefully you I, talk someone yeah, into agreeing with you or you come up with anyway the the question that i had um is governor gnome right i think she's right okay so i think that I, we still have to have these conversations with each other you have to reach out that's true yeah we do uh, if 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 people are lying uh, audaciously and unapologetically and repeatedly, I don't know how you can have a conversation. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Brian Stelter's show. That's one of the things that I've been watching every Sunday morning. It's called Reliable Sources. And, uh, he talks a lot about journalism and the problems with journalism these days and how it's changing. And last week he made a big case for journalism rethinking the fair and balanced approach when you confront repeated uh, lies from one side. That's that, a, keep, a good point, yeah. And and yeah. I think that's one of the problems we're facing is 
the whole question of how can you be fair and balanced if there are all kinds <clears throat> of lies that are being audaciously, you know, uh, perpetrated. Um, you, it's not right. And he was he was basically calling for um, an approach to context and pointing out the truth or falsity of what's being said, as opposed to simply quoting it in, you know, equal proportion. And I, I, that's kind of the way I'm leaning these days. That yeah. we, we can't do fair and balance with somebody that really doesn't want to talk truth. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, you make a good or, point, Jan. I, or, I often wonder, for example, if, if somebody says the world <coughs> is round, do you have to put somebody on, on the air that says the world is flat? Right. I mean, I mean, where, where do you draw the line? I think these are tough times for how to report on, you know, like when... Well, how when, do we get people Trump, to come out of their echo chamber and open themselves up to listening to something that they don't already think or, or believe? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I always tell our, our journalists at EVM, um, your job is to say what's new, not what you think. Uh, your job is to tell, I, this is a little mm-hmm. bit different point than you're making, but um, it's not your job just to say what you already know. It's your job to examine what has changed or, you know, what's different or what you didn't know that you now, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm making any sense. but I, um, When I look at news, and, and I understand there's a certain amount of evolution of interpretation and so on, but what I'm principally looking for is what happened. Not why, right, exactly. Not why right. you think it happened. Right, that's right, and that's really tricky. Or not what it means, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn. Of course, the problem yeah, with it, I know we're ta- getting into journalism here, but the problem with journalism is, it's theoretically, we've always thought that if our, our job was to say what happened, that other people would decide what to do about it. But uh, <laughs> that's, so the reporters, in a way, are <clears throat> off hook on what to do about it basically we're our niche is to say what happened as clearly but you know i i think part of uh, the thing that's going on in this generation is that people have a deep sense of suspicion and the population supports that they drive the enthusiasm of journalists to take these ambivalent views of things you know i think it's you have to go back to the population because the population is not complaining about it only people who engage in journalism is complaining about this but if people were to rise up and say well i'm going to quit buying this paper i'm going to boycott that paper and so on and so forth if you guys don't come up with some better news than this i think news should start the conversation not be the whole conversation right Because we, you know, I'm, you know, we struggle with that, and even on our small scale, as Paul would agree, at East Village Magazine, it's like we, you know, many of us, like I'm off the front line now, so I can, I feel like a little more free to say that I completely rue what's happening with the Flint City Council and the Board of Education, but our job as reporters is to tell the story, not Mm -hmm. to, not to, not to. Uh, opine about the story and that's really hard especially if you have some personal reactions to what's going on we've got to take a short break and we'll get right into it about the city council when we return everybody's doing a brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. The city won't hold up its pending contract for priority waste to begin garbage collection in the city starting October 1st, despite the objections of a company that wasn't chosen for the job. Members of the city council voted 5-1 to one Thursday, September 23rd to move ahead with its contract with Priority Waste, saying it was necessary to protect the substantial interests of the city and its residents. The vote was necessary after Green for Life Environmental Services filed a September 17th bid protest with the city, which otherwise would have required the city to put the contract with Priority Waste on hold until the GFL protest was sustained or dismissed by Flint's purchasing director. That decision then could have been appealed to uh, Mayor Sheldon Neely and then to the city council, a process that would have taken weeks to unfold, city attorney Angela Wheeler said. Flint's purchasing ordinance allows a contract to be awarded after such a uh, protest process is exhausted only if the council makes a determination that the finalization of a contract without delay is necessary. Did council get it right? Hmm. Well, they, they needed to have somebody in place on October 1st, apparently, as I understand it. Right, right. That was right. The, the other contract ended. Um, hmm. Well. Although the, the fact is that I wonder if they couldn't have done their homework earlier to have... Uh, made the decision rather than wait to the last minute as well. Well, it's a step in the right direction. Maybe they're learning how to work together. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> this, is, this is what's needed. We need to see some positive uh, input by both sides to make things uh, appear to be uh, in the, moving along in the right direction. Or, so, did they, or did they break the rules and this time it just happened to be for the greater good? <laughs> Maybe they needed to. Maybe they needed to break the rules. Uh, so, yeah, I guess Henry. Henry, you're probably right. At least they made a decision, which is uh, yes. something that they don't often do. So I give them credit for that, I guess. But uh, and we'll see how the new company works out. Right, yeah. and their their uh, notions of harmony, rumors of harmony. Uh, Henry, are a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is something new and something different, at least. <laughs> It, it may not last. Well, apparently, I, I was just seeing that they they have censored Kate Fields for 30 days, who is the yes. council <laughs> president. She will not be allowed to speak at the meetings. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, I, I, I'm not following all of these details on this one, but good Lord. You know, I often wonder, is there any other city where they have council members who have been arrested where they've censured, <laughs> they've censured some of their members to kick them off the council for a month and at various times silenced other ones on, on Zoom meetings. I, I, I was, I'm just wondering, is there any other city in the, in the region, in the area, that has got the same kind of a city council? It's, uh, this incredible. is not governance, guys. This is not governance. That's true. Governance is something different. We need to think about it. This looks like mob rule and... Things that we don't, it looks like you're, you're thinking your way through the whole process as you're going. Yeah. Uh, this is terrible. And, I mean, uh, this is. I, I don't, you know, I'm tempted to say, are we cursed with lead in the water that's gotten everybody's brains or 
<laughs> Something like Maybe that. Maybe that explains it, Jan. Yeah, that may explain it. Yeah. Problem here. I mean, uh, such childishness, and 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 the rest of us pay the price every day. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, the reality above and beyond any individual decision. I mean, if you're if you're a prospective investor thinking about opening a business or of a new factory in Flint, you'll take a look at the city council and say, "No, I'm going to go somewhere else." I mean, it's the chaos has got to turn people off. You know, uh, Paul has written a really good column for our October print edition of East Village Magazine about um, how they've been trying to do candidate forums for the city council election, which is November, as you know, the four of us all know, of course. And, like, nobody's showing up for them. There's no interest. And That's Paul right. is trying to make the point in his column that this is it's really crucial to get a damn city council group that can work for this city that can get some stuff done. And if nobody comes out to vote or shows any interest in it, it's just going to continue with the same BS if you, you know, yeah. the way that I feel about it. And Paul, I really appreciate your writing that column. I hope a lot of people read it and are activated by it. It was it was a strange feeling going to that to that uh, meetup rally at Kersley Park where again there were the, the two candidates were there, the write-ins with some of their supporters, and they, they, they say, I'll give them credit, they, they had a table set up, they were doing a good job, and nobody else, at least when I was there, there was nobody else there to, to talk to them, and none of the other events they had planned uh, took place. Uh, you guys are, are just practically begging me to do a plug for the show, because yesterday oh. I had all of the candidates for the first, second, and third awards on the show. Well, well, I mentioned the show in the column, so I, I, I didn't know exactly what day you were going to do any, any individual awards. But tomorrow, I did mention it. tomorrow, I have all of the candidates scheduled for wards four, five, and six. And okay. On, mm, and on Friday, wards seven, eight, and nine. And after the show, each of those three days, yesterday, it's already up in the archive, and tomorrow and Friday it'll be up in the archive within about an hour after the show airs. And you can literally go to the Tom Sumner Program archive and go, uh, you know, scroll through the, the, um, the archives and pick which ward. Because that's they're that's, all that's they're all loaded by you know candidates from the first ward, candidates from the second ward, candidates from the third ward, etc. You know, that's, did, did, um, did, you, they, did they all show up for, for the interview? So far, everybody has agreed oh. to do it. It's one on one with me, and you know they vary in length. If there are more candidates in one ward than in another. Um, they get a little bit less time because I'm squeezing each ward into an hour. But um, and and one of the things that's been really interesting is I'm including the write-in candidates to the degree that I was able to find out who they were. And over the nine wards, there are five write-in candidates that I'm yeah. aware of and that are booked <laughs> for the show. And I, it it has me wondering, and I'll just put this out there for everybody. With that many writing candidates, is that going to make writing in a candidate seem like more of an option during this uh, election cycle? Because usually it's unusual to find one. Yeah, right? and it's a very tough campaign. Although what strikes me is at least a couple of the writing candidates are, are have got substantial campaigns. I mean, they've, 
they've got literature out and flyers and yard signs and all that, and that's not often the case. So, so I mean, I, I still think it's going to be kind of a steep hill to climb, but uh, I am struck by the fact that it's at least a couple of them are are putting together more than more than the usual writing campaigns that you see, where often somebody wakes right. up in the morning and decides to run for something, and that's all there is to it. I mean, um. it's, it's kind of strange because the voter turnout is so lamentable, so pathetic, that it doesn't, you know, that um, you, you can hardly call it democracy when so few people vote for anybody. Uh, and so it, 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 like, the success of a, the potential success of a write-in candidate sort of shows the sickness of our voting pro- our voting process uh, that you know people are getting attention that don't seem to have any kind of majority backing um, and and you can and if you want to be a write-in candidate considering how few people voted for the other guys that won in the primary right that's true you know, it's possible that you can get at least that many voters as a write-in yourself later if you do a good job of it so I mean, it's just really weird that um, it, I think the write-in thing is a reflection of the sort of weirdness of Flint voting patterns. It's, well, we have two I wards would, where the incumbents are unopposed, if not for the write-in candidates in those mm-hmm. two wards. Right. Uh, uh, Tom, do you have a way of categorizing? Uh, there must be some variation in uh, the ability and stability of uh, wards in the in the uh, city of Flint, uh, but all of the the entire city council is deemed to be unfit for uh-huh. governance. Uh, and and but but there there must be some that are better than others. There must be some criteria that you can establish to find out where the problematic wards are, and. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe that way uh, we can help to influence and cultivate those who are serving the people's needs and making the council work as a governance body rather than those that are there that for, for disruption, show, and monkey shine. I, I hear you, Henry, but that's not really quite my role. My role is to present all the people that have rolled up their sleeves and decided to run and let listeners weed out mm-hmm. who they think are but the better choices. But listeners have done this forever. We've talked about that, and listeners are not hearing it. They don't see it. And maybe it's because no, there's nobody there influential enough to encourage them to move in that direction. Well, if they missed they yesterday's show... They don't have show, the options. Uh, you know, if they missed yesterday's show, yesterday's show, I started out with, uh, you know, because I'm doing them in numerical order, the first ward... And the first guest was Eric Mays, the incumbent in the first ward. And I have to say, he was on for about a half an hour, although he did lament that he didn't have the whole three hours. Um, And and Eric and I had a big laugh about that. But I have to say, I've I've, uh, visited with Eric several times on air and off air, and I think it was the best interview I've done with Eric Oh. To date, well, you know what, what strikes me is you talk to individual members of the council off uh, outside of the council forum, and uh, they do come across as fairly intelligent, focused people who understand the issues. But somehow, when they get together collectively, chaos ensues. 
And <clears throat> I'm afraid the people who serve in those roles today are influencing the mm. temperament of those who will serve in the next generation of leaders. That's the only thing. What they do today is yeah. become symbolic of what you're going to do the next. So you can predict how Flett will behave for at least the rest of this decade. So, uh, you, you know, Henry, you were hinting at something that I find myself a little uh, flummoxed and, and actually a little alarmed by, which is, what if the voters don't vote the way we think they should? <laughs> what if we well, say they're getting you... exactly what they want. So, that's, yeah, so, uh, that's, the, that's the right of democracy. <laughs> so if, if we start saying, well, the voters voted for somebody who's not qualified, so we better get them out of there, uh, then we're heading into some really yeah. troubling territory. Mm-hmm. Or, or <laughs> if there's some, if, if, if because we're perhaps a little more informed than the average would-be voter, that we have an obligation to suggest or rank candidates. And I can't get myself to do that. And I have friends and family who call me and say, who should I vote for in the third ward? Who should I vote for, you know? And I will not comment on those things. But the Flint Journal used to do that. Yeah, the, oh, the yeah. Flint Journal was a good voice. Yeah, they, they used to endorse well, yeah. look what they went happened through to them. And they searched the background. <laughs> they searched the credentials. They did a good job, and they they but, even influenced me on various yeah. uh, candidates, whether they were Republicans or Democrats. They had a lot of good things to say. The women's right to voters, or what did the women to vote? Women, Henry. I machine. think the one thing that we should do is encourage more people to vote, to participate, and to do their homework ahead of time. And and I do try to do that. I, I will opine about those things, and I will talk about structural changes to the process that make it easier to vote, to make it easier for people to uh, do their homework and get information. I'm, I'm Paul, I'm like you. I, I get uh, disappointed when people don't show up you know, for opportunities to get yeah. to know candidates. And it's it's one of the reasons why I dropped doing the in-person, you know, open to the public kinds of forums is that I'm, I'm able to put together uh, a better conversation if I just keep it to the one-on-one interviews with the candidates. True. I think that's true. And... Yeah. And there are more opportunities for people to tune in and listen to those conversations and and maybe get some information out of it. And, you know, I I actually was even asked if I wanted to, you know, do something um, out, you know, somewhere else where it could be videoed and put on YouTube and all that. And I had already, you know, put my my thing in place. And, And I have to say... All of the candidates that I'm aware of have all agreed to be part of this. Yeah. That's so do yeah. you have any way to know whether anybody's listening to that stuff? Yeah. Not till November. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm, know, I'm uh, kidding about uh, that. I, I, was I can tell. I, I was going to say on that same point, Tom, I think the League of Women Voters have stopped doing some of their forums yeah, because they found out mainly it was the candidates' you know, staff or so, or for family and friends showing up, 
and not too many other people. So they too have kind of gone back to simply posting things on on their website, interviews with candidates or responses to questions. Well, yeah, they're <laughs> they're doing a Q and A thing now, where it's uh, it, it's it's written responses to their questions. And right. the the one thing that I will say about why I keep doing what I'm doing is because it it is um, off the cuff. I mean, you do yeah. actually hear the candidates. And, and get some sense of if they know and understand what they're getting into. Some of them do, some but, of you them know, don't, Tom, Henry. But, but we, we are letting the country go to weeds. Uh, this thing of uh, I, me, and, and myself, uh, that kind of thing is changing the characteristic of, of the democracy. And, and we need to know we, we, the United States is for the people, all the people. And, and individual rights have superseded that of, of all the people. And we're tra- tra- transforming ourselves into a, a direction of, of uh, socialism and other types of, uh, of government. We're just transforming ourselves without a violent re- revolution. And uh, that is not the intent of democracy. Well, that's that's why I think we have to get behind things like, um, and and I happen to very strongly believe, however right or left it may be perceived, that we should reform campaign finance. I think we should. I think we should do something. Yeah, that would be a help. That's a critical element. I think we should. uh, (laughs) You know, I think we should find a fair and equitable way to draw representative districts right um now no matter what we do there are going to be some districts drawn that favor one party or another just by virtue of the fact that you are all the nature of geography uh, yeah all all the people that live in a rich neighborhood that are in that particular uh you know house state house seat or congressional district are going to be republicans you know, and, well, they and, could be. You know, they don't have to be. But very be likely, good, you know, there are some good Democrats too. Very what? likely, <laughs> so they could live in the same neighborhood, and they See, don't have to be so partisan. Now you're talking. But the people that, but the people that really run the country and hold it together are those people that are less partisan. You and I both know that. We all know that. See so now you're ta- them, now you're talking like uh, Governor Nome from South Dakota. Well, I think she may have <laughs> yeah. some common sense that we don't always find common. Hey, one thing I do want to bring up since we're, we're talking about the, the city council uh, race and, and the November election is um, the the council races aren't the only thing on the ballot. For people in Genesee County, there are two mosquito abatements, one school millage, and a tax to fund the township's police force. Uh, that will be in the November general election ballot. And um, I'll just just mention that the uh, polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, November 2nd, for voters to decide the fate of those proposals in Fenton, Clayton Township, Montrose Township, Mundy Township, and Goodrich Area Schools, plus, of course, the Flint City Council. And some of those seats, because of the new charter, um, Eric Mays pointed out that uh, you know if he wins re-election, which he will, yeah, is likely. Yeah, um, yeah. it's for five years. 
Yeah, till two thousand twenty-six, and it's, it's it was going to be with the current districts, which you know, whenever they're redrawn, won't take effect. The current wards won't take effect until two thousand twenty-six. And you know, uh, Eric Mays could change, you know, like uh, like the president has changed. He's not calling names and stuff like that. So well, people can change. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pressures put on him to if you think that uh, you might want to listen to my interview with eric yesterday <laughs> he, he i don't think he has any plans to change his <laughs> style his tactics um or who he is because he he honestly believes that you know he's doing the right thing well i think Tom, you had a, you had a line some years ago when you thought when Eric got to the what you called the adult table that things would change compared to his previous role when he was just simply a gadfly at the council. And when push came to shove, it didn't change much. No, it but, really you know, didn't. I, I happen to like Eric Mays. He's, well, he's, a, a, he's guy. a likable guy, yeah. and he he is life. a friend of my daughter's, and and they get along really good. Uh, you know. Um, I like him, and, too, and, and we had, and I really but, mean this. But it's politics. We had the best interview I've had with Eric ever, and I asked him some tough things. I mean, I, I asked him, you know, straight out. A lot of people watch you, uh, you know, on YouTube videos and Facebook videos and council meetings being disruptive and, and you know, obstructionist, and, um, you know, they get the impression that you are the reason why the city council doesn't get anything done. Yeah. How do you see what you're doing? <coughs> and his answer to that was pretty good. Oh. What was that? What was that? Well, he says he, you know, he may be disruptive, and he's going to continue to be disruptive if people steep, keep trying to go down the wrong path. Well, his job is to persuade, not to yeah. disrupt, in my view. I'm just so darn tired yeah. of disruption as a strategy. You know, like, to come back to an earlier comment that you guys made, uh, it's, what, what happened to persuasion and mutual respect and how you make your argument? Or, if, you know, using facts as your argument. I, I, I'm tired of the disruption. Like, we, we don't have time for that. We, you know, we have things that need to be done. And um, no, I'm, I, I mean, I, I think Eric is really sort of startlingly intelligent, and some of the things that he says are just like breathtaking, and what they what they get through, what they cut through to. But um, disruption wears thin as a strategy. Well, that interview is available on uh, the TomSumnerProgram.com website. If you go to uh, the audio pull-down tab, go to Show Archive, you can scroll through and find First Ward interviews with First Ward candidates. And, and you can give a listen to what Eric had to say and all of the candidates because um, the first, second, and third wards I covered yesterday with all of the candidates um, tomorrow is uh, the 4th, 5th, and 6th is scheduled, and Friday the 7th, 8th, and 9th. And as I said, all, all of the candidates have agreed, you know, to be part of this. So my, my expectation is that all of the candidates in all nine wards will be available on the website by the weekend. Mm. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Armchair politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, our roundtable regulars, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. And, Henry, I guess it was my turn to have the automated uh, break cut me off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, Michigan's lead medical executive is stepping down from her role within the governor's administration to pursue a new opportunity outside state government, state officials said Friday. Dr. Joan A. Caldoun, chief medical executive for the state of Michigan and chief deputy director of uh, health for the state's Department of Health and Human Services, announced her uh, resignation Friday, September 24th. Her last day with the state will be Thursday, September 30th, which is tomorrow. Caldoun said she has uh, accepted a new position, which will be announced in the coming weeks. She will be staying in Michigan, will continue to work as a part-time emergency medicine physician at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. In the meantime, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is appointing Dr. Natasha Bagdasarian, Senior Public Health Physician for MDHHS, to serve as the Chief Medical Executive in the short term, while a nationwide search is conducted to determine a long-term replacement. Um, and she will start at that uh, post um, Friday. Do you think that Dr. Caldoun is disgruntled over recent differences with the governor's administration over mask and vaccine mandates for public schools this fall, or simply fatigued by her high-profile role in Michigan's response to the pandemic? Hmm. I've wondered about both of those, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say that she worked for a Democratic governor. She was good at her job. Yeah, she I did exactly she, what she was mm-hmm. supposed to take directions from the governor, and she did that. So Republicans and Democrats and different people need to take a look at it. You have to be loyal to that position. Henry, I think will, I, I don't think she was really taking her marching orders that much from the governor. I think she was providing information that was informing the governor's actions, and she yeah. did it well, she very did a well. Good job. And she could have. Stop and think about it. She could have misconstrued that information, but she didn't. Uh, she, she did. I thought she was very, very deliberate, and uh, there was no conflict between the two. Had she been a Republican, I would have expected the same thing from her. And you, you need to realize that people who work for people in high-profile positions have a loyalty to play to that party or that administration or whatever but to, to the philosophy she did a job don't do but, but, a job I, I can see how she might just be simply exhausted i mean it's it's yeah it under be. the best yeah. of conditions it's an exhausting position and yeah. I, I've, I've read nothing about the reason but when it happened i kind of wondered whether it was more than just simply a new a new job out there and yeah again, i don't know the facts i don't know we don't know but while she yeah. was there i took a look at how this woman carried out her job. Was she masterful? Yeah. I was looking at it from a, uh, a perception of people of color, what they do when they go in. Do they, are they credible? Are they good at what they do? You know, stuff like that. Do they go in and disrupt things? 
Well, I think she I think she did a tremendous job interpreting the science, and yeah. and that the governor followed her lead, uh, you know, pretty aggressively in the early days of the pandemic, and and then, you know, just recently, um, yeah, Dr. Caldoun said she thinks that kids should be masked and vaccinated, you know, before they go to school in the fall. <laughs> and, yeah. and the governor didn't really pick up right. on that or back yeah. up on that. So th- that's why I come up with this question. Is it burn yeah. out or shut out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. And those are the kind of questions that journalists should ask or the news media should ask. And, and I was especially thrilled yeah. <laughs> to read a public official stepping down without using the phrase "spending more time with my family." <laughs> <Right. laughs> but right. I thought it was a credible move on her part. Yeah. yeah. Does anybody feel like Whitmer has changed since the um, threats against her life? I mean, I feel like there's been some kind of a like going more in. There's been some kind of change. Like there's not, a, she's not as confident in her assertions as maybe she was before. I, I, I I'm curious if any of the rest of you feel any. Well, there like has to play more to the politics than the, the science in some of those things. Again, speaking of the masking issues, you know, that's the first time, Jan, that I that I've heard it characterized as a reaction to the uh, yeah. threats on on yeah. her freedom and, and safety. Um, a lot of people have picked up on a lot of pundits, a lot of journalists around the state have picked up on a significant shift, but they're suspecting that that's more tactical. Well, yeah, and the the way I look at that, guys, and I've been following Governor Whitmer for a long time, uh, curious, but uh, her um, her pursuit of shutting the state down. You know, I think she thinks about that. That yeah. which has a long impact, uh, an impact that will last for years and years and years. And people don't like to have their businesses shut down. She learned something from there and may have grown from that. And you know, uh, the Governor Whitman is a well, tough character. She is afraid of nothing. Uh, her life is just like, and you know, she's changed much like Trump has changed. Trump is we now uh, reflection has reflection on things, and people do go through that process. They grow and they become better generally. You know, a lot of Not people worse. think that that rally on the Capitol in Lansing was kind of a, a uh, rehearsal for the January sixth things in in Washington. Yeah, so it may, that may be a reaction to that too. But uh, as I say, it, it does seem like that she's. She a little, a little more politically tactical. Yeah, oriented I think so, and I've said that several times. Yeah, and she's more tactical. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like um, that you, you guys are probably right because I think you follow, you've followed her more closely than I have. But I, just in terms of uh, Caldoun, I can, I can completely understand how people would be so exhausted with what's going on when there's threats against people and everything that they would just say, get me out of here. I, I, Mm. I can't take this anymore. You know, (laughs) I don't think you're going to intimidate her that way. I I really don't. I don't, I don't think that any woman would be intimidated by that. 
Well, let me okay. see if I can squeeze one more thing in before we go to the top of the hour break. A $70 billion state budget that is boosted with billions in federal coronavirus relief money received final approval from the legislature Wednesday and drew praise from groups on both sides of the political spectrum. Lawmakers gave strong bipartisan approval Tuesday and Wednesday to Senate Bill 82, which provides funding for general government, and House Bill 4400 which uh, funds higher education. This week's actions follow the legislature's approval in July of the $17 billion school aid budget for K-12, through which makes up the balance of the $70 billion total for 2022. Lawmakers can still appropriate about another $7.5 billion in federal relief funds, mostly sent to Michigan through President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan. And because they have made extensive use of federal funds to pay for a range of state operations, they have a few billion in surplus state cash they could spend as well. Would the budget passage have been so amicable, so bipartisan, without all the federal dollars? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, There's I a lot of federal that. dollars out there, believe me. <laughs> yeah, the federal money has kept a lot of things afloat for a while. But, and I'm thinking both of the city of Flint and to some degree Michigan. But I, I think there's uh, there's going to be some hard decisions to be made. On again, I'm thinking the Flint budget, especially in, in the years to come, when those yeah. federal dollars are no longer around. I agree. I agree. There are going to be some hard. Uh, there are going to be some surprises out there and consequences because people will not be using that money for what it is designated for. They will find, find themselves in hot water, cities, schools, whatever. This is a challenge for nonprofit organizations uh, in, in Michigan and around the country. They get grant funding or they have some successful fundraising and then they've got money to operate, and they just operate, and then the money runs out, and then what? They have to start scrambling to find more grants yeah. instead of yeah. using the time that they have the grant funding to secure yeah. funding down the road. And I, I think you're you're describing basically the same thing in the city of Flint and quite possibly in the state of Michigan as well. I've, uh, I've thought that for a long time. We don't work hard enough to go out and supplement the money that's coming in from government because government can't, government money is never reliable, it's never renewable, and it's tricky to use. And so people are uh, get caught up in that, thinking that there's a pot of money that's with an endless bottom uh, are ridiculous and get lots of communities in trouble, lots of institutions in trouble for the same reason because I've seen it happen over and over. Well, we in Flint know a lot about that, I think, because, um, <laughs> I mean, as, a, as a, a key person in East Village Magazine, you know, a nonprofit that's kept going for 45 years now, uh, um, it's, 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 it's frustrating because <coughs> we find, you know, like we get money, we get some money from the Mott Foundation, as almost everybody else does in Flint. In Genesee County, and it has kept everybody us. but me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, um, like, we get used to that, and for us to replace or to comp- you know, supplement that support, uh, we have, you know, we get money from other sources too. But it almost feels like it's going to be a, it's a full time job to keep grants coming in, and 
So the idea of having a sustainable flow of resources, whether it's East Village Magazine, the city of Flint, uh, Flint School Board. Hey, we got um, we got a break here. We'll be back with the uh, second Alexander half Zanji, right after Don't this. touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.